Our gospel reading is Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home, praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. The Gospel of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A few years ago, I went on a rather unique hospital visit. I went to visit Rick and Tammy Mark's little granddaughter, Maddie. Now, Rick and Tammy are very proud of her, and I'm sure you can see why. Since I was visiting a little one, I thought that it would be most appropriate to bring a children's Bible with me. But naturally, when I got there, Maddie was perfectly content being with Grammy Tammy. So I sat there and I listened to all of their stories about how they decorated the room, how Maddie had prepared her Halloween costume, and how they had recently done some painting in the hospital room. After a while, it seemed like it might be about the right time to ask her if she'd like me to read a Bible story to her and to pray with her. She looked a little bit quizzical, and I, I showed her the children's Bible. I showed her the story that I'd like to read to her, and she thought about it for a little while, and she said, They're so cute. Let's read a story. The story we are about to hear from Luke 5 is one of my favorites. And it's one of my favorites, of course, especially because of this story with Maddie, although the adult version might not be as cute. Allow me to set the scene. Jesus is in a home teaching. Religious leaders have gathered all around him. They have come from all over Israel and specifically from the religious center, Jerusalem. It's so packed in the house that not even men on a mission can get through. These men are determined and they will not be deterred. 
They don't want to wait to get their friend to Jesus. He can't wait. He has to be seen now. Their friend cannot remain as he is any longer. They can't get in through the front. So they have this idea to tear open the roof and lower him through the hole in the roof. Now, there's a speculation that this may have been one of the men's houses who lowered his friend. Why would a guest open up someone else's roof? Well, we don't know for certain. It's a, it's a good speculation. But guest or no guest, these men rip open the roof and lower their friend to see Jesus. They know deep in their bones that Jesus won't turn them away. Jesus will see their friend and he will love him. He will heal their friend. He won't be disappointed. He needs Jesus and he needs him now. So the friends tear open the roof. In our four-week sermon series, we are coming out of hibernation together. We have slowly been phasing back in, both as a society and as a church. We've gathered in small groups outside. We've gathered as a worshiping community outside. We've hugged our friends and family members. We have shifted some of our work from virtual to in-person. We have trickled our way back inside for worship, still with masks and minus the coffee and treats after worship services. Things are not as they were. And we've been told in many and various ways that they won't ever return fully as they were before. But we're beginning to come out of hibernation. Comparing our bears is really not too great a stretch. It seems apropos, really, and maybe kind of cute. Grizzly bears go into hibernation because of scarcity, because food sources will be insufficient to survive the winter. So hibernation is necessary for them for a time. But they don't hibernate forever. Eventually, pheromones from blooming plants are released into the air and bears begin to rouse. It's time for them to come out. First males, then solitary females, then females with cubs. When they surface, they're lethargic and they're not very hungry. They don't eat much and they look for easy food resources. They're like this for about a week or two. Grizzlies emerge, not because life has returned to normal, but because they can smell food. Life outside the den is more attractive than life inside the den. And their slow exit gives them an opportunity to trust their instincts. The proof is in the pudding. After a long season of hibernation, it's only natural to take time to trust your instincts, to be slow. It's important to know that we can be safe, that others can be safe, and that what is outside our den is better 
than what's inside our den. With the novel coronavirus and evolving science, it's been very difficult to know how much hibernation has been necessary. Over time, we've learned about what is more and what is less safe, and many of us have felt increased confidence in the vaccine. Praise God for scientists and epidemiologists. What we knew from the beginning, however, is that hibernation was necessary for a season or some forms of hibernation, but we couldn't hibernate forever. As soon as it was safe, we needed to come out of hibernation. We needed to leave the den and enter back into relationships, back into relationships with others and with this world. We need to get our paws dirty. And as Pastor Jim preached last Sunday from Jeremiah 29, it's our job to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which we've been called, to plant gardens, to dwell in the land, and to pray to the Lord for it. There are many sobering realities this season has taught us, and one of those realities is how critical it is to be in relationship with others. We were not created to be lone wolves. We instinctually know this, and science reveals that it's true. In the 1980s and 90s, thousands, hundreds of thousands of children were orphaned in Romania and studied. They exhibited impaired growth and cognitive development, as well as elevated incidence of serious infections and attachment disorders. Charles Nelson, a professor of pediatrics at Harvard, visited the orphanages in 1999 and saw children rocking in cribs, going back and forth. He saw toddlers desperate for attention, and in his words, they'd reach out their arms as though saying to you, pick me up. So you'd pick me up, they'd, you'd pick them up and they'd hug you, but then they'd push you away and they'd want to get down. And then the minute they were down, they'd want to pick back, be picked back up again. It was a very disorganized way of interacting with someone. As Nelson continued his studies, he found a dramatic reduction in gray and white matter in their brains, meaning their brains were actually physically smaller. And the cause wasn't a simple answer of malnutrition. It was a different kind of deprivation. It was the deprivation of a parent, of someone who acted like a parent, of someone who loved these children. We were created to be in relationship with others. I need it. You need it. We need it. They need it. Everyone needs to be in relationship, no matter how young, how old, or how strong and independent we may think we are. Life is better outside the den, and the proof is in the pudding. In our gospel text today, we hear a powerful story about relationship. Determined friends rip open the roof so that their friend can see Jesus. They know that Jesus has the power to heal, and they are confident that Jesus will heal their friend. Their friend is paralyzed, and he's been excluded 
from full participation in the community and counted and treated as less than. If other biblical narratives are any indication, society likely blamed this man for his paralysis. So he's excluded from society and treated as less than. It was time for their friend to be healed. His friends knew it, he knew it, and he was lowered through the roof so that Jesus could heal him. Jesus recognizes their faith and does something remarkable in verse 20. Take a look. He says, young man, or in other words, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees that this man cannot walk. He's been lowered through the roof. But interestingly, he doesn't speak to this man's paralysis. He speaks to something much deeper. Jesus speaks to the man's relationships. He calls him friend. The man is on the inside now. He is a friend of Jesus. And everyone's heard it. The religious leaders who've gathered from all over Israel hear his name, friend. This man is a friend of Jesus. He is elevated to Jesus' social status. He's not on the bottom any longer. And then Jesus speaks these words, your sins are forgiven. This man and his friends were desperate for him to be healed. And boy, was he healed. He was healed in his relationship with society and with God. And in those words of relational healing, Jesus healed his body too. This is the vision God has for you and for all creation, healed relationships with one another, with God and with all of creation. You were created to be in whole relationships. That is God's vision. And that is how life will one day be. Because you weren't a mistake. You weren't an afterthought. You are a child and friend of God. Created for good. Created to give glory to God. In the adult version of Luke 5, there's one more dimension to the story. There's an antagonist or a group of antagonists. And sadly, these antagonists are the religious leaders, the ones who have spent their lives to know and to be obedient to the scriptures. But when God's son is in their midst, they don't recognize him. They get angry instead. It's easy and natural to be proud, to believe we are right, to believe that we have the corner on God and how God does and does not work. And please know that I am including myself in this we. If it doesn't meet our expectation or the box we have for God, we can miss how the Spirit is active and alive in the world, even when it's right in front of our eyes. So how do we not miss how the Spirit is active and alive in the world? How do we recognize what God is doing? 
First, we need to know what God desires. And then we look for God for how God is bringing that about. How do we know what God desires? Well, we look to scripture. Scripture is our primary source. We look to scripture and we recognize that God is on a mission to restore, to heal all things. Or as Bishop Dan would say, the first three chapters are about creation and what happened so that we were separated from God, the fall. And the rest of scripture is about how God will restore creation, how we have fallen and God's plan to restore us in all creation. God's intention is to restore, to restore relationships with one another, with God and with all of creation. God's purpose is restoration, healing. We're entering a new and very interesting season. As we and many around us are coming out of hibernation, we know deep within our bones that we are desperate for relationship. We are desperate for relationships with God and with one another. We are desperate for that which we were created. And those who have not been a part of the church will look for evidence to see if the church is a place to fill that need, a place for relationship, a place they never once considered will be a place of intrigue. And the proof will be in the pudding. We have the opportunity to be friends with people who bring people to the feet of Jesus. And we have the opportunity to be antagonists who resist the desire and plan of God. About a year ago, we had a conversation amongst our staff. We were talking about our church culture. We asked questions like, how welcoming are we? How do people feel when they come to visit us? Do they feel welcome? After a long conversation, we determined that as a congregation, we are like coconuts, hard on the outside and soft and juicy on the inside. Hard on the outside, meaning we may not seem friendly or glad when new people come to visit us, but soft on the inside, meaning once we get to know you, we really are rather good friends to have. What we, prob- what we concluded probably isn't a surprise to you. We're coconuts. Let's admit it. There's good stuff in the middle, but sometimes it's difficult to access. And sometimes we're too late to show the good stuff in the middle. Our guests have already left. We can do better. (laughs) There are so many wonderful people at St. Timothy's. You're probably here because of them. You know their stories. You know how God is alive and active in their lives. You know how God has been at work to heal and restore their past. You are them. You know that God is alive and active in St. Timothy's. It's time to pray for God to shape our church culture, 
so that we don't have such an, a hard outside shell. We're coming out of hibernation and God is doing a new thing in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors. God is at work healing relationships and we have the incredible challenge and invitation to be a part of that healing, that restoring work of God in the world. May our life together be evidence of God's healing in the world, that God is doing a new thing in and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be confident to come out of hibernation. We pray that you would continue to bring healing and wholeness to this world. We thank you for scientists and epidemiologists who have come up with vaccines that can help us come out of hibernation. We thank you for this church community. We thank you for the, the long work that you have been at in the lives of each and every one of us and in each of us together. We pray that, that we would be a place that is warm and welcoming, a place of healing and restoration for, for all people who come to visit. We thank you for your faithfulness to us and your work in our lives. We thank you for never giving up on us. We thank you for, for your Holy Spirit and for your activity in our lives and in our life together. Amen. To God be the glory. Let's sing together.